be seated at this time. And that is God's holy, infallible word. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you will fall in this place and that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that they may unfold like flowers and receive the glory of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Father, that we may be strengthened as your children as we journey through this world. We pray that our minds will be conformed and transformed, that it may come into a line with your word. Bless your preacher. Father, speak through me. Hide my flesh behind the cross. May Christ be lifted high, and may I be lowered. I ask this according to your grace. In Christ's name I pray. Everybody say amen. amen. It was Benjamin Franklin who famously quibbed. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. I would unequivocally add suffering to that list. If you stay on this earth long enough, suffering will find you. Some suffering comes simply because we take up space. It comes like that mail that arrives at your mailbox addressed to resident. It doesn't even have your name on it. It just shows up because you're there. It just comes because you're breathing. Thus, suffering is coming. And if we are honest, we wrestle with the reality of suffering. We ask questions like, if God is so good and omniscient and omnipotent, why does he allow suffering? It is the grappling with suffering that drove the pens of Negro spiritual writers to write songs like, Lord, how come me here? There ain't no freedom here, Lord. They treat me so mean here, Lord. They sold my chilling away, Lord. I wish I never was born. I don't know if you ever had suffering so great that it birthed the thought in your mind, I wish I never was born. Well, this is how Job felt in the book of Job. He says, it says this, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which, on which I was born in the night that said, a man is conceived. Friends, at some point, as Christians, we will have to grapple with what the believer is going through and what we believe. We would have to grapple with what we believe in the suffering we experience. We would have to grapple with the hope we say we have and the suffering that seems to want to take it away to a faraway land. How does my faith relate to my suffering and in and in a more communal sense, my neighbor's suffering as well. Friends, we rightly rejoice over God has made us right with himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we rightly rejoice over justification by faith alone, which is a sentence of acquittal in the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. But I'm afraid we rejoice over the fact we are not going to hell no more. But we have failed to rejoice in the hell we're going through today. Because we don't see how Jesus dying gives us hope in our 
present suffering. What does the cross have to do with me losing my job? An abusive relationship, a cheating spouse, suffering for loving my neighbor or suffering that comes for standing up in the face of injustice. It seems the more obedient I become to the Lord, the worse things get. We have reduced the hope we have in our Lord to just life after death and not a hope that resides with us in our present suffering. And to put it quite frank, the church in America hasn't done so well in helping the saints because we have ignored or mishandled the texts that have to do with suffering. We just blame it on a lack of faith or disassociate, with, disassociate God with suffering altogether. We have concluded that all suffering has to do with some sin and someone that, that someone committed. And therefore, we have given bad counsel to the church. Or we don't know what suffering for Jesus looks like because we have yet to mature in the gospel. Friends, I stand before you today and say the cross has something to say about suffering. Those Christian slaves sure thought so. Because after they got done singing, I wish I never was born, they would echo the words of Job, but I know my Redeemer lives. I wish I had a witness today. Paul, Paul argues today in our text that the gospel is the reason we have hope in our suffering. Paul teaches that Christians have hope in suffering because Jesus died for our sins. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the many blessings that flow out of justification by faith, the peace we have with God, the grace we stand in. And to top it all off, Paul says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's enough to stop right there and start shouting all by itself. Friends, we got glory to look forward to. But in the opening verses of verse 3, we see this phrase, not only this, it conveys the idea, but that's not all. Not only, church, do we rejoice in the fact that we stand in grace. Not only do we stand forever in his grace with full access to his throne of grace. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of future glory, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, the school of God's choice that all believers are enrolled into. Everybody in the room will be enrolled to God's school of hard knocks. You will be enrolled into God's school of suffering. And there is no graduating from that in this life. The first point I want to make is suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Verse 3 starts with saying, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Help me, Holy Spirit. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, first, let's be honest. Because Paul has gotten off on the wrong foot with me. I don't know if he got off on the wrong foot with you. But he has gotten off on the wrong foot with me. Talking about rejoice in your sufferings. Paul seems to be bustling with joy after making a statement that contains two words that should never go together, suffering and rejoicing. In the hood, we would ask Paul, 
Brother, what you been smoking? Are you on something? Uh, let's take our holy mass off for just a moment this morning. This is not the thing you want to hear when life is hard. However, we must come to grips with the fact just because we have come to peace with God doesn't mean peace with all of mankind. There is suffering that comes by default from being on God's team. There's suffering that's coming just because you're a Christian, just because you stand on the word of God. Historically, believers have found themselves in the midst of hostile societies. However, if any man be in Christ, he must suffer. Friends, this is not abnormal, but normal for the believer, contrary to popular belief. Paul tells us how we should suffer. How should we suffer, Paul? By rejoicing. Not murmuring and complaining. We should rejoice. Now, this is easier said than done, is it not? Giving the nature of this word suffering that can also be translated tribulations. In the Greek, the word is thalipis, meaning pressure or something that rubs us or wears us away or breaks us down. Our English word tribulation comes from the Latin word turbulent, which was a heavy timber with spikes in it used for threshing grain. It literally means a thing with teeth that tears. The spikes separated the good grain from the superficial chaff. Likewise, our suffering sometimes feel like spikes, but they're designed to get rid of the chaff in our lives. The word was also used of squeezing or crushing olives to get the sweet oil inside. Sometimes God has to send you to suffering to get what he wants out of you. Sometimes he has to send you to su through suffering to remove the things that are not like him. And when I'm squeezed by suffering, I'm not always real happy with what comes out. Now, come on, let's be honest. Somebody presses you the wrong way or you go through the right situation, you will say things you thought you'd never say. You'll do things you thought you'd never do. You'll be questioning your salvation. Amen. Can we be honest this morning? I know you got your Sunday best on, but relax, I'm coming for you. Tribulations are not supposed to feel good. Some of y'all need help with this, right? Having a hard time on deciding what outfit or which car you're going to drive is not a trial. Somebody tailgating you is not a trial. Stubbing your big toe is not a trial. Y'all know how we are. Lord, I can't believe this person tailgating me, testing my faith. That's not what we're talking about. Trials are uncomfortable, hard, and unpleasant. Therefore, our knee-jerk reaction is there is nothing good that can come out of this situation. And we deduce that because we are looking at our situation with carnal eyes, not spiritual eyes. But Paul wants to fix our vision by giving us a fresh view of the role of tribulation in the believer's life. He makes a countercultural statement. We rejoice in our sufferings. I hope you caught that. Notice it says sufferings. That's plural. That's not just one suffering. That's all suffering. 
What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Be in constant attitude or state of prayer. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're going to rejoice in your suffering, you need a different lens to view your suffering. Let me say that again. If you're going to rejoice in your suffering, you need a different lens to view your suffering. Not the ones the world has prescribed to us. You need to see from a new angle like the guy in the Great Depression. During the Great Depression, an evangelist had a great friend who lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his fortune. And he also lost his home. But he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He hung on to his faith. Although he could see no purpose at all in what was happening He hung on to his faith anyways. I wish I had some witnesses that didn't understand the purpose of your suffering. But you were clinging on to Jesus anyhow. You were clinging on to him anyway. You couldn't articulate and fully explain what you were going through. But yet you were holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ anyway. Then one day, during a time of deep, dark depression, he was just wandering through the city. He stopped to watch some masons doing some stone work on a huge church and one of the workers were chiseling a triangular piece of stone and so he asked the mason what are you going to do with that the workman stopped pointed his finger towards a tiny little opening at the top of the steeple and he said what I am doing down here is so that this piece will fit up there At that moment, the man's eyes began to fill with tears. It was as if God had opened his mind to understanding the purpose of his trials. Paul wants to offer us new glasses this morning. What God is doing down here has something to do with up there. What God is doing down here has something to do with what he's doing up there. You may not fully comprehend it. You may not fully get it. But one person said, if we seen all that God sees, we would do what God does. Now, at this point, I still got issue with Paul. Me and Paul are yet to reconcile our differences in this text. Uh, Paul, you are telling us to rejoice in our suffering. But Paul, are you even qualified to talk to me about suffering? You know how we are, right? Don't talk to me about my pain if you ain't been through no pain. Don't talk to me about suffering if you ain't, come on, y'all know how we are, right? Don't come telling me how to get through when you ain't never been through. I don't want to hear from anyone who's telling me about my pain that hasn't been through pain. But Paul is well qualified to speak on rejoicing and suffering. Paul is not telling us what he heard. He's telling us what he knows. Paul is not telling us what he saw. He's telling us what he experienced. And so we've got to pull up a chair to the table with Paul because Paul is a man who has learned to rejoice in his suffering. Talk to us, Paul. And and, 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 in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says this. He's kind of giving his resume. He's kind of telling what he's been through. He's kind of telling his testimony. And what he says is five times, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times, I was beaten with rods. I'm done right there. Take me out the game. With what and who? Uh Uh-uh. 
I'm gone. And he goes on. Once I was stoned. You hit me with a rock, that's it. We either fight or I'm out. I don't know which one going to happen. But you hit me with a rock, it may be something. Three times I was, matter of fact, let me go back to this rock. thing real fast. They hit the man, if you go back in the book of Acts, they hit Paul with a rock, knock him out. The man get back up and go back preaching. You know you love Jesus. When you get hit with a rock unconscious, you get up, got a knot on your head, and still proclaiming Jesus. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and at day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. After all that, Paul, you still have the unmitigated gall to come to this conclusion. We should rejoice in our suffering. Why, Paul? Why rejoice in your suffering after all of that? Why not walk away from Jesus? Answer, knowing that suffering produces endurance. What do you mean, Paul? The way the New Testament describes a person of endurance is the characteristics of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. In other words, suffering doesn't crush, kill, or make the believer give up, but instead it makes us stronger. Let me say that again because you didn't get excited. (laughs) Suffering does not kill or crush the saint or cause us to give up, but instead suffering makes us stronger. We rejoice in what it produces in us. Nobody likes the pain of working out, but you have to go through it to build up the muscles. Exercise actually tears your muscles to build them up, which builds endurance. You have to tear the muscle to build the muscle. God is continually tearing the saint and breaking the saint to rebuild the saint stronger and more faithful in him. It is suffering that produces that. Though he slay me, yet shall I praise him. I I, I get excited when I think about it because a lot of us, we look at these old saints and we say, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish when I got in my trials and tribulations, I was able to rejoice like they rejoice. Well, sweetie, let me tell you something. You just don't get that just sitting back. God has to put you into his gymnasium. God has to put you into his anytime fitness. God has to put you into his L.A. fitness. And in his L.A. fitness, there's all kind of machinery of heartbreak and tears and heartbreaks and failures. And the more God works you, the stronger you become because there ain't no spiritual trainer like God. God will get you fit and get you equipped for the journey. This is why Paul says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Therefore, Saints say things like this, when I look back over all that he brought me through, I can't help but to give him glory. When I look back over my life and I see what should have killed me, 
when I look back over my life and I look at what should have crushed me and I'm still standing and I'm still stronger, I can't help excuse my praise, but I got to give them glory. God gives trials not to destroy us, but he uses them as tools to perfect us. In fact, this is the second effect Paul gives. Uh, Suffering produces endurance, and then endurance inevitably produces character. I talked to us, Paul. Um, Verse 4 says endurance produces character. Church, all the pain, all the tearing, all the tears, all the suffering is to bring you into a better character. Now, if you're like me, I'm pleading with God. God, they got to be another way. You know how it is. I want the muscles, but I don't want to work out, right? Can you just give me a six-pack? You know, that's why people be buying those things, those late-night commercials. They get a thing, you strap around your abs, and it vibrates and supposed to give you like, You know good and well. Okay, how long you sit there? You eating them hoagies and them donuts? That thing can vibrate all night. Ain't nothing going to happen. We want the shortcut. I want not to get abs just walking. Glory be to God. Won't he do it? No, he won't. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. You can speak those abs into existence all you want, and you're going to go to grave with that same keg you got. It ain't going to happen. And although we want to shortcut around suffering, but friends, God is more concerned with you looking like his son than your happiness. What was one of the reasons God saved you? Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Now, you don't hear that verse quoted a whole lot, do you? Let me tell you the verse you hear quoted more instead. All things work together for the good of those who love God, called according to his purpose. But in context, if you're going to define what is good in context, what is good is anything that God does that conforms you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if it's suffering... That's good. If it's promotion and it gets you more like Christ, that's good. Goodness is whatever conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. Which is why Job said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I still come out as pure gold. Come on, Job. Friends, God is not like us. He doesn't rejoice over what he sees on the outside, but over what he sees in the inside. God is more committed to our character development than he is our comfort. God is more committed to our character development than he is our comfort. God doesn't rejoice over hypocrites, but over authentic worshipers. 
God doesn't rejoice over people that type amen. He rejoices over people who believe in the God man. Come on, church. God doesn't rejoice over you saying you love your sister in the Lord, but when you actually stand up for her if she's being oppressed. Come on, who am I talking to this morning? God doesn't rejoice over you saying you care for the poor, but when you actually do something about it, who am I talking to this morning? God doesn't rejoice over us saying we love our brothers and sisters from a different ethnic background, but when we actually love them from the heart, God will do what it takes to make you look like Jesus, and he's not going to spare nothing at all as long as it conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ. Don't believe me? Look at Abraham, and he'll point to Mount Moriah. Look to Joseph, and he'll point to the prison in Egypt. Remember, Joseph was a man of integrity. A lot of people think because you obey God that you're going to circumvent suffering, but Joseph obeyed God, and God still sent them to prison. I came to tell you that you can be obedient and obedient, and suffering will still come. Ask Daniel. Daniel obeyed God and still ended up in the lion's den. John, the last apostle to live, was obedient unto death, but he died on an island suffering from hunger. Don't tell me that if you got enough faith that suffering is not coming. The saints of old testify differently. One person says, all our impurities are burned away, so only what is strong and beautiful will remain. Character development would only happen in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now watch this. Because this is where we learn whether our faith is fake or the real deal. It is in suffering that we learn whether our faith is fake or the real deal. Don't let that pass you by. Do not let that pass you by. It is not my character that saves me, but it is proof that I am saved. Let me say that again, because if you mix that up, you mess up the whole Christianity, all right? It is not my character that saves me. It's my character that gives me proof that I am saved. Because over time, the more I look in the mirror and the more I see Christ, the more I know he lives in me. The more I see his power and patience and grace flowing through me, the more I know he lives in me. The more I see he is in me, the more I know I have been justified by faith. That's why some of the old saints might not have all the access to the schooling and the books that we have, but you knew without a shadow of a doubt that they knew Jesus. You knew without a shadow of a doubt that they've been spending time with God. I don't know if you ever walked into the presence of a saint. They, they, you just felt like they've been walking with Jesus. You just walk up in their presence and, and conviction all over you. You just, I need to do better. I, I need to do better. So Paul understands that uh, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and therefore he concludes, don't take my suffering away from me like the guy did the butterfly. Uh, this story is told of someone who watched a butterfly go through the struggle of coming out of its cocoon. In an effort to help, the person snipped the shell of the cocoon. Soon, the butterfly came out with its wings all crippled and shriveled. 
It was unable to fly and was doomed to crawling out its brief existence on the ground, never able to soar through the air. The person trying to help did not realize that the struggle to emerge from the cocoon was an essential part of developing the muscle system of the butterfly's body. By unwisely seeking to cut short the butterfly's struggle, he had actually crippled it and doomed its existence. So Paul is like, don't take my suffering away because it makes me more like Jesus. Don't take my suffering away because it makes me more like Jesus. And let me tell you, you can't shout over that until you understand just how beautiful he is, just how glorious he is. When Jesus becomes your prize and your ultimate joy, and then all of a sudden give me suffering if it'll give me him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a weak Christian all my life. I don't want to be doubting God all my life. I know I'm a stumble and, and, and doubt him sometimes, but I don't want to be the Christian I was last year. I want to be a stronger Christian this year. And then come 2019, I want to be stronger than I was in 2018. The issue is, is that we're not growing in the Lord. And so every trial and every tribulation that comes, we doubt that he's even real. We doubt that he even rose from the dead because we're running from our suffering. I don't want to live my life in the flesh all my life. God uses sufferings of this life to bring us from arrogant to humble. Suffering takes us from independent to dependent. And if I could just park my car there for just a moment. Uh, mature Christianity is not becoming dependent. Uh, uh, mature Christianity is not becoming dependent. I mean, I'm sorry. The true, forget it, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm like, independent to dependent. Okay, I got it. All right, that's all I needed was the saints to praise them. Mature Christianity is not becoming independent, but dependent on the Lord. It takes, from, it takes us from displaying weak love to God's love. It takes us from being self-centered to caring about our neighbor. It allows us to become pure at heart so that we can see God who saved us. What happened when Rafiki took Simba to the water? Simba hope was restored because he saw that his father was in him. In seeing his father in him reminded him of who he was. This is something in us that happens when we go through suffering. We begin to see Jesus in us and it reminds us of who we are. And it gives us hope. This is what he says on his third one. Character produces hope. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now back in verse 2, Paul uses the word hope in its relation to future glory. But the word hope here in this verse is a present hope. This is such a radical thought because you would think trials would produce despair, but instead it produces hope. Now, let's be honest. Many times when we're going through the cocoon experience, we often find ourselves doubting God and doubting ourselves. How does proven character bring about hope? How does it bring us from doubtful to hopeful. 
Well, friends, it's simple. What, your confident, what confidence do you have when you see real gold? It is the fact that it has been tested by the fire. It has been tested by fiery trials. And after being tested, the gold wasn't consumed or destroyed, but endured the test. What makes you confident in the juror confident is the gold is still standing. The reason proven character produces hope is because after being tested, I'm still standing. I'm still standing on Jesus. I'm still praising Jesus. My faith has been tested and proven to be real. My faith has not been consumed or has it been destroyed. How do I know? Because I'm still standing after the fire. I wish I had some saints in here that were still standing after the trials. I may have doubted at times if I was saved. I may have been afraid uh, uh, at times, afraid that I was a hypocrite or not even saved. But after being tested by the fire, I found out that my faith is real. And not only that, but my love for fellow believers have grown. I find myself standing for godliness more often. I find myself being able to stand up in the face of injustice more often. The more mature I get, the more godly I become. The person, people that I would have cussed out, I don't cuss out no more. The things that would have ticked me off, don't tick me off no more. There used to be things that would get on my nerves. When, back then, when the boyfriend left me, I would have crumbled. But now that I'm in Jesus, I realize that a man ain't all that I need. I found out that a woman... It's not all that I need. The longer that I'm in them, the longer that I make it through, the more it testifies to me that my faith is real and genuine. I'm the real deal. I really am a child of God. The fire of tribulation is a gift to prove us and show us to ourselves that we are real. And if I'm the real deal... I know that I'll be a participant in future glory to come. And if glory is mine, bring it on, Satan. Bring it on, devil. Bring it on, world. No matter what you throw at me, when I know glory is mine, you can do what you want to do. Take what you want to take. Say what you want to say. But at the end of the day, I can sing, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. This is why people like William Tyndale was able to embrace the flames for translating the Bible because he had a present hope. This is why Christian slaves who were mistreated and tortured could still have a joy in their heart because they knew they were real. How do you think Martin Luther King could stand in the face of angry dogs and say nonviolence? They knew without a shadow of a doubt they belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew their sins was paid for in full. They knew he would bring rightful vengeance to their perpetrators. At this point of the sermon, in my writing, after understanding the glory and the hope that we have, I can do none but label the next part. Come on, Holy Spirit. Because verse 5 says, because God love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you see a conjunction like because... Remember that it signifies that the writer is providing the grounds or the basis for a previous statement. Therefore, proving character brings hope because we see we are truly his children. And what does God do to his children? He lavishes them with love. 
Paul says, he pours it out. Means literally to pour out. Now, I don't want you to picture a trinkle, but a lavishing and outpouring to the point of overflowing. In other words, God love is not rationed out drop by drop, but it is like a mighty, endless current flowing towards the believer. But first, let's get some clarity on who the Spirit is. There's a lot of people out here talking about the Holy Spirit. You hear things like, catch the Holy Ghost. I'm still trying to figure out who called him and who didn't. Uh, That's not what the Bible says, but that's another sermon for another day. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit and who he is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity through whom God acts, reveals his will, empowers individual, and discloses his personal presence in the Old and New Testament. I love what Spurgeon says. The love of God is like light to a blind eye until the Holy Ghost opens that eye. You can't see the love of God without the Holy Spirit. Where is this love poured into? It's poured into our hearts. God wants to fill you from the inside. God wants to pour his love into your heart so that you know that you know that you're his. He says he pours it into our hearts. God wants to fill us. He wants to pour it into your very being, the control tower, so to speak, of the believer's being. All of this is produced by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit affirms in our hearts through hardship that we belong to God. This is what he says in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are God's children. One writer says... The Holy Spirit is not a mood-altering drug. So make sure we get that. Holy Spirit is not something to get high on. He is an illuminator of the glory of God's love and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the hard eye-opener to the ravishing reality that in in the death of Christ for us, God's love is infinitely. So let me see if I can make it plain. As we experience suffering, As we experience suffering, we experience the sustaining power of the gospel. We see he really did die for me. He really did rise for me. And by way of suffering, the spirit takes the truth of the gospel deeper and deeper into our hearts, into our souls. So much so that we look like and love like Jesus' love. And we end up with a rock solid hope that says we shall overcome. We shall overcome because it was for freedom that he set us free. We shall overcome because trials or persecution or famine cannot separate us from the love of God. We shall overcome because although we might be perplexed, we are not in despair. We shall overcome because after he has tried us, we shall come forth as pure gold. We shall overcome because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We shall overcome because although at times we sing, why me here, Lord, we know that our Redeemer lives. We shall overcome because they stretched him wide and they hung him high. And for me and you, he died. We shall Overcome because one dark Friday gave light to one bright Sunday. I came to tell you that because he lives, because he's true, because he saved us, because he justified us, we have a reason to shout in the midst of our suffering. 
Friends, come what may, we shall overcome. In Jesus, we are safe, saved, and satisfied. And one day, we should put on our robes like the old saint says and tell the story how we made it over. I wish I had some people in the room that knew that the day is coming. Worship team is coming back at this point. Wish I had some people in the room that knew what it was to still cling to Jesus in the midst of your suffering. I knew what it was to cling to Jesus in the midst of your pain. I just want to talk to the people who are going through a thing this morning. I want to remind you that God didn't give you that pain just for you. God gave you that pain to help others. God gave you that pain so you can help your brother and sister maybe next to you that says, I don't know if I can keep going. That brother or sister who's been through some things, suffering allows the church to open up and be real. Too many times the church has been a place where people can't open up and be real. Too many times the church has been a place where I can't be real about my pain. But the church should be the one place well, the people of God can be real and find hope in a present time of need.